Gorbachev tear down this. I think a lot of people were saying that about Hillary Clinton as well. The American people, I think, is good people. They are. They have not to charge with the guilty of all the lies. Oh, I'm a pansy. Common sense is not sexy. The, the obvious answer is it's payback time. It's time to go out, kick some ass, and do whatever you can to inflict pain. Oh, I'm a pansy. Welcome back to Is the soundboard been updated? It sounds like it has. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you Spent happy? Time last night. Oh, so All happy. Right. So happy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna start using the soundboard uh, for myself yeah. so I don't sure give you, you anything are. new. Sure yeah. You are. yeah, yeah. Hey, real quick, before yeah. we get started, uh-huh. did you get did you get the cigars? No, what cigars? Uh, last Monday was mailed out. There's one in there that's shorter than the others. I sent that on purpose mm-hmm. so you could think of me. Yeah. Oh, thanks. No, that's good. Yeah. Appreciate it. Anybody else wants to send them? Yeah. Contact me and I'll give do you I, the deets. Do I smoke yeah. it or stick it up my butt? Um, do one and then do the other. But it's it's Australia. <laughs> it's a free country. You do whatever you want, buddy. You do you. Welcome back to the Cold War, episode 136. We're still talking about Zionism. Yeah, we are. Uh, the rise of Israel. Um, now, in our last episode, Ray, uh, mm-hmm. we, we, we talked about, I think, uh, the Christian Zionists. Um, but not all Christians are or were Zionists. Uh, one group who apparently didn't, care for the cause of Zionism before World War II were the Roman Catholics. At mm. least, according to Sir Ronald Storrs. Now, right. um, for those of you who don't know Ronald Storrs, in 1917, he became, as he said, the first military governor of Jerusalem since Pontius Pilate. Uh, I, I, I first picked up uh, his book. I found it in a little second-hand bookstore in Melbourne like 20 years ago, 25, 30 years ago, wow. I don't know. Uh, a great book called uh, Lawrence of Arabia, Zionism and Palestine that he wrote around about 1940. He was a friend of Lawrence Arabia. I think he was one mm-hmm. of the pallbearers uh, at Lawrence's right. f- funeral. Um, had known Lawrence since you know World War One and the Middle East and all that kind of jazz. Um, and in 1921, he became civil governor of Jerusalem and Judea. This is after the the British Mandate uh, took place, right. which we're going to talk a lot about how that happened over the next few episodes. We're going to be jumping back and forwards in the whole you know Zionist Israel timeline as well, covering mm-hmm. different parts of the story, but. Um, uh, yeah, fascinating book stores. And the great thing about stores is, A, he's British, which means, you right. know, there's a certain level of um, arrogant... Uh, condescension. Uh, condescending. <laughs> yeah, condescending superiority. Racism. Yeah, my favourite. Right. Yeah, which is great. Uh, white condensation. But he kind of, he kind of oh. hates the Jews and the Arabs equally. Yeah, uh, yeah. Which I like. Good guy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this colonial condens- condensation, <laughs> condescension, 
right. in the book. Yeah, which I, I always sort of enjoyed. <laughs> is like, uh, he actually says like, um, Beaver ne being neither Jew nor Arab, but English, I am not holy for either. Two hours of Arab grievances drive me into the synagogue, while after an intensive course of Zionist propaganda, I'm prepared to embrace Islam. <laughs> which, is, which is funnily enough how I feel about the Soviets and the Americans. Right. It's like you know, when we're doing both. this show, yeah. I, I like, yeah, I can see both sides. I think yeah, you're both. Yeah. I, mean, I think you're both a um, bunch of dicks, and right. uh, you know, I can I can straddle both. Right. Um, yeah, he was also a chess player. Stores another reason why I like him. He actually founded Israel's very first chess club in Ooh, 1918. Nice. His hope would was that it would be a place where Muslims, Jews, and Christians could all come together in peace. Mm. Uh, guess how that worked that. out. Yeah, not so much. I think that was more of a hope than a than an idea based on his vast experience and education. I think that was more of a hope than anything else. Yeah, it it got shut yeah. down after a year uh, due yeah. to increasing tensions between the three groups. But it right. was a bold initiative, and I highly support yeah. chess bringing the world together. Now, uh, Storrs claims that the religious Jews of Jerusalem strongly opposed political Zionism, which right. is, I, I think is an interesting uh, thing to understand. Uh, from where we sit today, 100 years later, you know, the, the, the rhetoric that you often hear from uh, Jews and non-Jews when they're defending uh, Israel, the concept of Israel, mm -hmm. the existence of Israel, it's quite right. often got a, you know, sort of a religious uh, tinge to it. Well, you know, God promised them this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Interesting, mm -hmm. though, that at least according to stores, I mean, not saying that obviously uh, we should take everything that he says as being crackerjack truth but you know at least in his view and he seems to be fairly unbiased as i said because he hated everyone equally um right. he said that the the religious jews that he knew in jerusalem when he was the governor there felt that god when god was ready he would bring israel <laughs> back to its former glory uh under the right. the, the kingship of the jews and it was impious to try and force that, uh, to, to, to anticipate God's timing on that. Listen, you know, we, we, he hasn't, <laughs> God hasn't sent the Messiah right. yet to right. uh, restore Israel and, and fulfill all of the other prophecies of the Messiah. Um, and and uh, you know I'm sure I've talked about this before, but the the Jewish idea of the Messiah is not the same as the Christian idea of the Messiah. So the Messiah for Jews wasn't going to be some sort of uh, uh, magical uh, super superhero guy. Uh, he was going to be a warrior king, human warrior mm -hmm. king, right. favored by God, who would appear, smite all of their enemies, create uh, an era of universal peace where the entire world would worship Yahweh, Aww. Israel would be the capital of the world, and all right. of this kind Have of stuff. Have a coke and a smile. Yeah, yeah. 
I'm not sure that bit was in there, but um, if you if you're drinking the original <laughs> Coke with cocaine in it, you're gonna be smiling. That's I could yes, that's, that's for sure. Exactly. Um, you're gonna be productive well, too. You'll be yeah. you'll be doing laundry at four a.m. God, this is Bells fucking great. <laughs> Look at this. It's awesome. It's not even my laundry. Woo! So yeah. So I mean, do you do you get that perspective though? Like, it, it, like for the religious Jews, it was like the God obviously hasn't sent the Messiah yet. Ipso facto, this isn't the time. Right. Ipso facto, to try and force this uh, is impious. It's, it's sacrilegious, almost. Right. Well, that's one of the things, that's one of the entertaining things I find about uh, religion is that you can read everything two different ways. One, God promised us we would return. Uh, it's been 2,000 years. We're kind of getting tired of it. And two, um, you could, the other side could easily say, well, he's not the one leading you back. How technically you would know, I guess, besides the second coming of the Messiah. Um, so that's unclear. So it doesn't really matter. You're gonna you're gonna piss off half of a group anyway. I think the Zionists were like, you know what? That's we've had enough. It's been two thousand years. All these programs are going on. There's thousands of us being killed. We we need to take God, God's desire, God's will into our own hands, or it will never happen. And they'll be like, no, I never said that. But that's basically what they're doing. I'm not sure why the Catholics are against them, like you were mentioning earlier. But I do see. But if you truly were a religious Jew, you are def- the Zionists are defying the will of God, and I guess they're expecting something really bad to happen at some point because of that. Yeah, like you're, these Jews are sitting around in the twenties and thirties, going, you know, well, listen, the Zionists are saying, listen, if God really doesn't want us to, right. you know, create Israel. Give- Give us a sign. Give us a sign. Something, (laughs) you know, if you really didn't want it, something really, really bad would happen to the Jews. I don't know. Something that would be clear. Say in the next 10, 20 years. Yeah, yeah, something. (laughs) Like, like I don't know, some kind of a... Some kind of a... Like, it would have to be like a a real fucking holocaust for... for us to really, for us to, kind of, get for it. Us to, yeah. to really, for us to get it, yeah, like, like, uh, <laughs> now, no, really, something the, really big, <laughs> really, like God, if you're out there and you want yeah. to send us a sign that you don't like what we're doing, send us right. something really, really, <laughs> really big, put, really big. We're in charge of a country. Yeah, unignorable. Come on, now, come on. So, <laughs> so why the Catholics will, don't like them? The, the Catholics books. don't like them because the Catholics yes. have hated Jews for two thousand years, man. That's the, the, oh, the just number one simple thing, hatred. If, when you look up, gotcha. you know what what Catholics believe in. Before you even get to Jesus, it's number one. We fucking hate the Jews. I mean, that's that's <laughs> been right. central to Catholicism. And I, I'm not even. Uh, I mean, I'm not even kidding no, no. here. You know, no, I know. We've talked about this on our Renaissance show when we did the introduction to the Renaissance. We did. 20 right. hours of the, the rise of Christianity and the... And, and the uh, You're welcome, Tony. Western Europe yeah. <laughs> went into the Dark Ages. Um, we, 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 we talked about, you know, we quoted uh, all of these guys, St. Augustine yeah. and uh, 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 who is the guy? Ambrose of Milan, yes. St. Ambrose of Milan yes. in the 4th century. These guys hated the Jews uh, and they wanted to see the right. Jews uh, kept down. They kind of have this begrudging... Well, yes, our Jesus was a Jew, and yes, you came before us, and the early Jesus group were Jews, yes. But now, but. 
now we fucking hate you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We've improved. So yes, they hated them. Sorry, you were going to say something. I cut you off. No, no, no. I find it amazing that I had to sit here and go, I'm not sure why the Catholics were against Jews, because like you said, I mean, it's so universal. It's, it's in the very beginning of uh, Catholicism. Um, and again, you, you mentioned you mentioned specific reasons, but I'm like, at some point, you think the Catholics would just go, well, you go on and be Jews, and when you die, you're not going to heaven, and that'll be your punishment. They're like, no, no, we have to wipe them all out now. We have to convert them. We have to destroy their temples. We have to bring them low here on earth, and they will suffer in the afterlife. I mean, just, just that intense hatred that still sometimes... Um, shocked me and again and it shocks me even more that it's coming from catholics but as we know it's all about power influence and money so yeah you go after the other guys no matter how passive they are why does it shock you that it's catholic i just i mean i know it's just what i'm saying it shouldn't but i'm like just get over it it's a it's a people that if you leave them alone they will genuinely from what i can tell leave you alone but the catholics you know they would do in the first programs of going after these people and trying to kill them all, wipe them out, wipe out everything about them. I still find that stunning. I don't know why, but I do. Who do you, th- who do you think invented sad. anti-Semitism? Oh, I know. Yeah, <laughs> no. I like know. It was the, it was the it, Romans, but after the Romans. <laughs> yeah, who perfected it? The yeah, I mean, the Catholics, you know, it's yeah. basically... The justification yeah. for it, for for Christianity in general, uh, right. because the, the the Protestants were just as anti-Semitic. Martin Luther wrote an entire book oh, called yeah. The Jewish Problem and What to Do About It, where he talked about, well, we Jesus. should burn down all their schools and all their homes because fuck the oh, Jews, you know. Right. Um, this is... <laughs> My favorite thing to point to when I have Protestants talking about how they're the good Christians and the Catholics are corrupt. I'm going, hey, 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 let me show you. Let me show you a little book. Let me show you a little something that Martin let me Luther rip this wrote. out. So, there's a part of my film where I actually zoom in on the cover of that book where I'm doing some voiceover about anti-Semitism. Nice. Um, but yeah, but their justification for it is, well, Jesus himself said... And they're wow. taking a line from the gospel according to Matthew that, right. uh, you know, his blood would be upon... Uh, oh, no, actually, in, in, actually in, sorry. In the gospel according to Matthew, when Pontius Pilate has the trial of the two Jesuses and mm-hmm. uh, the Jews go, no, yeah, yeah, let, let, the, uh, let the terrorist Jesus go. Um, right. Let's kill the, uh, the, the good Jesus. And then they say, the Jews in the audience, apparently, and this whole thing is historically nonsense, but they say, because like Pontius Pilate would give a fuck what the Jews thought, but he, uh, they, they say, you know, may his blood be upon us and, and upon our children and our children's children and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, they would never one, say, who, who says that? Yeah, yeah, right. And at one point, Jesus uh, calls them a nest of vipers or something like that. The Christians, anyway, the Catholics and, and then the Protestants used to point to these things and go, see? See, your own people right. said you, his blood would be upon you and your, your children, your children's children, your children's children's yeah. children's children's Fuck. children. So they use that. Uh, apart, and, and on top of wow. that, the fact that, well, you don't, you don't even recognize Jesus as the Messiah, so fuck you. You're basically sinners. <laughs> you deserve to die. Anyway, so yes, the Catholics hated oh, the Jews. Where, where did we get yeah. to? Uh, so um, <laughs> not long after... Right. 
Storrs had arrived in Palestine to take up the job of being the new Pontius Pilate, he was informed that a Zionist group would be coming to meet with him to press their claims to the land. Right. And he was like, oh, fucking okay. Now, one of the uh. members of that party was Chaim Weizmann, who was a British Zionist. Um, right. He was president, I think, at the time of the yes. British Zionist Federation and biochemist. And this guy, uh, fairly important in the history of Zionism and Israel. Could I give a little um, very, very general opening um, remark about him and then you can jump into his bio. But I found this interesting because I didn't think of it in this way before. But obviously World War I has come along. And the Zionists know that the Ottoman attitude, uh, the Ottoman Empire's attitude about them and their goals, they, they basically know what the Zionists are up to. So the Ottoman Empire is very wary of the Zionists. Now the Zionists, sensing this, try to stay neutral in between this fight between the British Empire and the Ottoman Empire. They try to stay for generally uh, you know, on the sideline. So when they do try to come to Palestine, it's not going to piss off the Ottoman Ottomans any more than they have to. Now, the Zionists even open up a liaison office in Copenhagen in a neutral country during this war. However, many people, like Weizmann, believe that Britain, in the end, probably because they'll have American and Russian help, they're going to win the war in the end. And so they openly work with them. And Weizmann is one of these people. And so he's going to become a central a central figure in the story of the creation of Israel. And I just, I just admire that he was like, he's a brilliant person. He's a chemist. He's dedicated. But at the same time he's willing to wear his passion on his sleeve he's not going to play the political game he's going to jump in there with the british help it in every which way he can and he's going to pretty much declare himself for the allies in this conflict and you know to hell with what the ottomans think or do about him he's putting you know he's putting it all on the line and that's kind of one of the um, main characteristics of the zionists is that they are very passionate courageous people yeah, but he, he he lived in England, so of course yeah. he's going to support the the, the British. Yeah, but war he effort. went there. He wasn't born there. He went there. Yeah, but he went there in nineteen oh four, so a long time before the war. He was right. born born yeah. in Belarus, studied in Germany and Switzerland before moving to England in nineteen oh four, where he lectured mm-hmm. in the chemistry department at the University of Manchester which happened to be in the constituency of a chap called Arthur Balfour. Right. That name will come back later on. Now, when World War I started, explosives were required, obviously. Can't have a war without blowing shit up. (laughs) Not a good war. And the British discovered that acetone, one of the key ingredients in TNT, was very hard to get your hands on outside of Germany. They said, hey, uh, uh, Kaiser, <laughs> yeah, yeah, what can I do can for you? have some? Cousin, hey, cuz, cousin, that's what Kaiser means, cousin Kaiser, cuz, cuz. Right. That's what they called him, the British yes. called him, the, the Queen Queen Victoria and her kids called him uh, cuz, cuz, cousin, cousin Kaiser, cuz, cuz. Right. Um, could, could we have, can we have some of your acetone? Uh, TNT first invented in 1863 by German chemist Julius Willebrand, originally right. used as a yellow dye. Did you know that? It was just a dye 
He was like, "What's the, what, are you, what are you making? Jewels? Wow. Dye? No. What for? <laughs> I don't know. Dye shit yellow? What, what do you want to dye yellow? I, I don't like know. Yellow. Like, you know, what's... <laughs> Hostess Twinkies? Je- I don't know. Uh, stars of David to put on concentration camp uh, <laughs> no. people uh, no. <laughs> 40, no. so 50, 50 60 use? years from now? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> got, a, got a feeling we'll need a lot of yellow dye. Um, they were like, oh, okay. And uh, th- then it, uh, Carl... Hausserman in 1891 uh, said, I wonder what would happen if I uh, like ignited this and it blew up. He was like, well, fuck me. There you go. Um, <laughs> yes, but so the British found out, much to their uh, disgust, that they couldn't get their hands on acid. The Germans wouldn't sell them the stuff that they needed bombs to blow up Germans with. They're like, oh, oh that's, huh, that's, not, that's not that's not cricket. That's not- <laughs> so <Chris> said, <laughs> You know, just sell it equally and may the best man win. So anyway, it was Chaim Weizmann, the uh, Jewish chemist living in England, who first worked out how to synthesize acetone using bacterial fermentation, which is what I suspect Chrissy is doing in our garage right now (laughs) with her uh, kombucha. She says it's kombucha. I think she's actually trying to make a bomb. Anywho. Yeah. Or moonshine. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. maybe you just skim the, the acetone bits off and drink the rest. I think right. that's our moonshine. Make both. Invented too. Yeah, people are trying to make tea and yeah. tea. You better be nice oh, to her. Fuck it. It's taking too long. Let's just drink it. <laughs> <laughs> so he had British school children uh, walking around picking up horse chestnuts. Now, I, I thought that the moment the, for that was uh, slang. For, slang, right. Yeah, they're, they're yeah. Uh, goonies. Something inappropriate. Uh, right. <laughs> apparently, it's a, right. it's a real thing. It's um, a real thing. Which were used, they would, for, they, they would use the starch uh, from the horse chestnuts for the fermentation of other things, which they would get the acetone from. Now, Churchill... Um, found out about this process during a, a single day of sobriety in 1915, uh, <laughs> where he was conscious enough, and they slapped oh, him, brought what, him around, what is and that? brought right? this to his attention. Yeah. It was just a mistake, and you know, I don't know that they underwater. <laughs> they thought that seven bottles of champagne a day would be enough. Turns out he was nope. drinking 12 and, uh, right. you know, they, they went through a lot up. faster than, yeah, he accidentally sobered up. They brought it to the, he brought it to the attention of David Lloyd George, who at the time was the Minister of Munitions. Uh, mm-hmm. And then Weizmann was made Director of the British Admiralty Laboratories from 1916 until 1919. And... He right. transferred the rights to the manufacture of acetone to the Com- Commercial Solvents Corporation in exchange right. for two things, royalties and the Balfour yeah. Declaration, which we'll discuss <laughs> in detail both. later. Yeah. Listen, right. um, I will give you my recipe to build bombs right. to kill the Germans. Uh for you know, on two conditions: number one, you pay me a lot of money; number two, you give me a country, make me president. They were like, "Yeah, yeah. okay, this sounds like a good deal." Done, done and done, done yeah. and dusted. Yeah. Um, and so the the Balfour <laughs> Declaration, which we'll discuss in detail later on, but it came out in November 1917. And here's the thing: I read through a lot of coverage 
in the press. I went to newspapers.com, right. read all of the archive papers from around that time. A lot of, mm-hmm. lot of positive talk about it. Oh, isn't this wonderful? What a wonderful yeah. idea. You know how many articles said, but uh, what about the people who already live there? How do they feel about <laughs> it? Can you guess how many newspapers mentioned that? Go- Goose egg. Goose Zero. egg. Nada. Nilch. Nada. No yeah. one. Not yeah. a single yeah. fucking newspaper article I could find. No, even, no. Even hinted. It's a trick question because there was no one there. Aha. You got yeah. me, Cam. Well, no. Civilized <laughs> white people. Uh, just. Uh, Same thing. Just, just same, a bunch same of thing. dirty, dirty, dirty Arabs. Which. But seriously, like, they. It doesn't they, count. The newspapers oh, yeah. at the time didn't even say, and I read a lot of them. Not a single one said, hey, aren't there people living there? I wonder how they're going to feel about this. They were just like, ah, oh, don't worry about it. I'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> so immediately following yeah. their declaration of war on the Ottoman Empire in November 1914, the British War Cabinet had begun to think about the future of Palestine. And within a couple of months, there was a a memorandum being circulated around the British cabinet by a Zionist cabinet member, Herbert Samuel, who was in support of the Zionist ambitions because he wanted to get the support of the Jews in the war. And one of the Mm -hmm. things that you need to understand about the creation of Israel uh, and the reason why the British and the French and the Americans uh, initially supported it, wasn't for uh, religious reasons, wasn't for humanitarian reasons. It was predominantly to help them win the war. (laughs) It was all about Mm. World War I. The same reasons as as anyone who's seen Lawrence of Arabia knows, they supported or pretended to support Arab nationalism at the time. They also were supporting the idea of a Zionist homeland. It was to get the Jews on board. People like Chaim Weizmann and, as we'll see later on, Lord Rothschild, the richest man in the world, to support (laughs) the the Allies' side of the war. You had to to suck the dicks of as many people as possible (laughs) to get them on your side because the Jews could have gone... Uh, really? Other ways, you know, a yeah. lot of a lot of the the more uh, powerful of them, like Chaim Weizmann, were Russian by descent. So a lot yeah. of them were yeah. German by descent, and they could have. Uh, I mean, the, yeah. the, the the Russians had been anti-Semitic, so they but they could have thrown their support in. Uh, the Russians are obviously on the side of the Allies uh, at the beginning of the war. But after the, uh, the, the, the Bolshevik uh, uh, revolution, they could have thrown mm-hmm. their support in with the Bolsheviks. Um, they could have thrown their support Absolutely. in with the Germans. It was, a, it was a very fluid situation. No one was really sure where the Jews were going to come because everyone had treated the Jews like shit for thousands of years. Now all of a sudden right. they're like, okay, well, uh, they, they could actually be useful. We need to get their support and we don't want them throwing their support. And by support, predominantly, I mean their money. Yes. It's, it's it's their money that really mattered here. Where are they going to throw their yeah. money in the middle of the war? Now, the term uh, national home, which was used, uh, is talking right. about the Zionist uh, ambitions, really had no precedent in international law. 
And there, there was no... Uh, uh, there was no prior examples of a, 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 a state being carved out as a national home for, particularly for uh, uh, people that were bound together purely by religion. They're not even a right. race. Yeah, um, right. yes, you know, if you go back far enough, there's some Middle Eastern and, and Jewish DNA in all of these Jews. You know, the, the main division between the Jews at the time early 20th century were the um, Ashkenazi Jews out of uh, Europe and the Sephardi Jews that were mostly mm-hmm. kind of out of Spain. Um, right. And, you know, they, they had a lot of uh, European and Spanish uh, uh, DNA in them. So they, they, they weren't a, a, a co- common race of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, had no, they didn't have a common ethnicity Apart from some, you know, throwback uh, Jewish DNA, Semitic right. DNA, going far away. Yeah. but this idea of a national home was unprecedented. Now, the intended boundaries of Palestine at the time when they're discussing all of this weren't really specified, and, mm-hmm. the, and the British government later said that the words in Palestine, when they talked about this Jewish national home, was not intended to cover all of Palestine. They just thought, well, oh. we'll, we'll carve out, you know, a, a little square of Palestine for you. Yeah. 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 Sorry. Um, I, I just want to say real quick. So so going back to what you said, this wasn't about, I mean, because this is an incredible, extraordinary gesture to promise these people land. I mean, like you said, it's never been done before. So, but it, at, at the end of the day, it's not about helping somebody who's oppressed. It's about a political, you know, a political means to an end or whatever. And so this is what example number 746 about where some kind of good gesture down in its depths is really a self-serving move um, that people either don't really know about or don't think about, or maybe they don't want to because it's just such a good story. Oh, they were trying to get some land for the oppressed Jews. Isn't that nice of them? I mean, it's great propaganda. Yes. Now, According to Sir Ronald Storrs in his uh, mm-hmm. telling of this story of the Balfour Declaration, he says the second half of the Declaration was added to satisfy the opponents of the policy, and there were a lot in Britain as well as elsewhere around the world, who rightfully were claiming that the idea of creating a national home for the Jews in Palestine would prejudice the position of the indigenous population, the local population of Palestine, and would therefore encourage anti-Semitism around the world by, Mm. in quotes, stamping the Jews as strangers in their native lands. Now, the second half of the declaration, which we will go into more detail in in a later episode, called for the safeguarding of the civil and religious rights of the Palestinian Arabs, who obviously were the majority of the population of Palestine, as we've talked about before, and also the rights and political status of the Jewish communities in other countries outside of Palestine. So the Balfour Declaration wasn't all about, well, let's give the Jews a home. It also said, but we have to protect the civil and religious rights of the Palestinian Arabs and Jews in other countries. Now, of course, that's, you know, the, the first part of that is definitely what has not happened uh, yes. in, in the last 70, 80 yeah. years. 
but it's important to know that part of the original vision of the Balfour Declaration, uh, even though it was sort of shitting on the rights uh, of the Palestinians, uh, did have a, a vague level of protection in there for them. Now, w- would you say that, and this is me being um, cynical, obviously, but don't don't you feel that they have to put that second part in? You can't just make a pro-Jewish statement. I mean, you've got to say, oh, yeah, and everybody else will be covered. Everybody else's rights will be respected. I mean, obviously, that's like you said, that's not what happened, but don't, aren't they pretty much required to put something like that. I mean, whenever you have an opening statement or an an opening document, it's got to be vague and appear to be balanced all at the same time, or it's not going to go anywhere. Well, no, I think there's plenty of examples where that doesn't happen. But Mm -hmm. in this case, again, keeping in mind that this happened in the middle of World War One. And the British were keen to keep the Arabs on side as well because they wanted the Arabs to help them overthrow the Ottomans. So they right. they needed to they needed to balance what they were promising the Jews and what they were promising the Arabs, ah. particularly the the Muslim Arabs, uh, gotcha. trying to keep them all happy. They're spinning plates, uh, <laughs> juggling promises. You know, they're right. like Oprah. You get a new car. You get a new car. Well, it's the Everybody same car. Wins. But, okay, so you can have the front seat, you can have the back seat. Uh, That's what Oprah never told everyone when she said, you can have a new car. It was the same car. They just had to sort of timeshare it, basically. The entire audience had to timeshare it, of course. Devils in the details. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Now, the British government itself acknowledged later on in 1939 that they hadn't really taken into account the local view, the local population's views in Palestine. And Duh. as recently as 2017, mm-hmm. the British uh, government recognised that the declaration should have called for stronger protections of the political rights of the Palestinian Arabs. <laughs> Sorry. Bit fucking late. Fucking Britain, late. But, Mayor uh, Copa. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, that's the way these... Like, it's... This reminds me of uh, you know, the way that geopolitical policy is often dealt out. Like your country now going, okay, yeah, we shouldn't have uh, invaded Iraq uh, in 2003. Uh, that was bad. But yeah. we're there now. So, you know, what are we going to do? You know, it. Sorry, yeah. yeah. That's always the yeah. way. You, 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 you lie about the justification. You storm in. At some point down the track, you can always go, well, yeah, okay, those those other guys before us, uh, right. fi- financed by the same guys that finance us, by the way, but <laughs> don't, 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 don't pay any attention to that. Let's not go there. Right. They, they probably shouldn't have done that. Um, I agree. I agree. You're right. But we're there now. So yeah. And we're benefiting. Break, so, yeah. You break it, yeah. you fix it. That kind of, well, we, 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 we can't leave now. We fucked it up. Right. Uh, yeah. Now we need to keep that fucking would be it up. I mean, I mean, fix it. of us, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's that's yeah. the way. When you look throughout political history and you pay attention, you see that that story is used over and over and over again. And it's not, it's not an accident. And I, I think it is, it is disingenuous. This is one of the, mm-hmm. the three cards that you play. You know my old story about the the three the three letters, the CEO's three letters. Mm. I don't think so. Uh, I've told the story a million times. So the, the old story is uh, there's a the, there's an outgoing CEO at a big corporation, incoming CEO, 
Okay. They meet. They meet. You know, the new guy comes in. He meets the 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 outgoing guy. They're sitting in the in the in the CEO's office, they're doing Great. the handover, the transition. Just before he leaves, the old CEO, the outgoing CEO, says, "Oh, listen. Um, if you ever get really really stuck, you get into trouble." In the, in the bottom drawer, the bottom of the bottom drawer up the back, you'll find three envelopes marked one, two, and three. Use them. When you really get into trouble, um, they were left, you know, similar things were left to me. It's a bit of a tradition. The guy I replaced gave them to me. I'm giving them to you. Pull them out and you. Right. He goes, yeah, okay, I, I won't need it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm gone. Oh, but awesome. okay, right. I appreciate the, appreciate the uh, gesture. Right. He's six, six months into the job. Things aren't going well. Uh, revenues are falling. All this kind of stuff. He's sitting in his office late one night, drinking a bottle of scotch, uh, head in his hands. He's ruffling. He's ruffling through the bottom drawer to see if the uh, there's any cocaine left in there. And he finds these three <laughs> envelopes. So he pulls right. out the first envelope, reads it, and it says, "If uh, things are going bad, uh, blame the previous administration." So he, he, he gives a press conference the next day and says, well, look, yes, right. uh, things aren't going as well as we had said they would six months in, but what you have to understand is that the uh, situation that I inherited was far worse than I had been led to believe at the time when I took the job. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, sales forecasts had been fudged. Things, you know, the, the economy's not going as well as we did. So listen, it, it, it's worse than right. we thought it was going to be, but it's not our fault. We inherited this, but we've put a five-point plan into place. We're turning it around. Give me another six months, it'll all be great. Oh, they go, okay. So he buys himself another six months. Six months later, things have gone from bad to worse. Again, late at night, in the office, looking for cocaine, finds the second envelope, pulls it out, (laughs) reads it. Um, (laughs) It says, if if things things continue to go bad, acknowledge that uh, some of your staff made mistakes in that first half, but you fired them and replaced them with new staff. You were getting bad advice. And uh, now you've got some new advisors in, some new staff, things are going to be great. So he gives a press conference the next day, says exactly that, buys himself another six months. It's all good. Right. Six months later, things are still going to shit. Uh, late at night in the <clears throat> office, this time not looking for cocaine, looking for a gun with bullets in it to blow his own brains out. <laughs> Finds the third envelope, opens it up, reads it. It says, if all else, is, if the first two envelopes have failed, prepare three envelopes. <laughs> I like that. I yeah. like that. And it's so yeah. true. Watch every fucking government that comes into power when, yeah. when their political promises haven't been fulfilled in the first 12 months. What do they do? They blame the previous administration. Well, things were a lot worse than we thought right. they were when we promised all this shit. <clears throat> anyway, um, so... Uh, th- but this is one of the excuses that people use. Well, yes... These guys made mistakes, but hey, 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 what are we going to do about it now? Hey, <laughs> That's right. Hey, it's the past. It's yeah. the past. What are you going to do? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so Ronald Storrs writes, Behind the adoption of so novel a thesis by the most level-headed cabinet in the world, on the recommendation of a Russian Jew, there were alleged to lurk other considerations than mere eagerness for the fulfilment of Old Testament prophecy. British espousal mm. of the hope of Israel would, it was hunted, serve triply our interest as well as our honour by ensuring the success of the Allied loan in America, hitherto boycotted by anti-Russian Jewish finance. 
By imparting to the Russian Revolution, of which the brains were assumed to be Jewish, a pro-British bias, mm-hmm. a, and by sapping the loyalty of the Jews fighting in scores of thousands on and behind the front in Germany. Wow. Or for Germany, I think. So let's break that down. So what Ronald Storrs is suggesting... And mm-hmm. let's, okay, now the immediate thing is some people go, well, he's anti-Semitic if he's saying the Jews are... Well, I, I don't think so. He's already said he, he, he hates everybody equally. I mean, he's right. pro-British. I don't, I don't get the impression... That doesn't make him... Yeah. I mean, this, this guy was highly respected uh, when he was the governor of Jerusalem and Judea. I don't think he was anti-Semitic. I've never... I, did you come across anything about this guy being accused of being anti-Semitic? No. I- I just think he genuinely thinks he's British and he's better than everybody, and these are all arguments among ants. <laughs> yes, it's the American uh, view that you inherited from. Them. It's the colonial Thank view, you. right? Romans yeah. thought that, the Greeks exactly. thought. No, seriously, right? The, the no, no, you're Greeks thought that, right. the Romans thought that, the Persians thought that, the Germans, the Rush. Everyone thinks now you know, it's our they're turn. fucking God's gift to humanity, and everyone else is uh, <laughs> our ants. Right. So. Um, yeah, so what he's suggesting here is that the, one of the motivations of the British cabinet to issue the Balfour Declaration was that it would help get a loan for, out of America, which ah. they hadn't been able to get financing for the war, basically. They were trying yeah. to get the Americans to kick in. Wilson hadn't got involved in the war at this stage. Remember, Wilson had ran his last political campaign on a neutrality uh, basis. Right. Yeah, we're not, fuck the Europeans in their wars. We're not getting involved. And then halfway through it, J.P. Morgan convinced him that he had to get involved in the war. And so <laughs> they changed track. Uh, after the election, Wilson all of a sudden started trying to convince America to get into the war. And they used right. the bombing of the Lusitania as justification mm-hmm. for it and interception of telegrams to Mexico telling the Mexicans to invade. But that was all yes. bullshit. Uh, and I cover right. this in great detail in my new book. Soon to, apparently I'm told, to be uh, seen in W.H. Smith bookstores in airports all around the world. Um, Yay. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, the, uh, the, 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 where was I going? Oh yeah. JP Morgan. He, uh, had, had, uh, uh, a lot of money, not in terms of war right. loans, but loans to buy steel and those sorts of things to the British that he wanted to recover. So we ended up buying mm. like 25% of the newspapers, uh, pushing for pushing for the war, pushing for war bonds, selling war bonds, Damn. getting people to sign up. He cre- he created a massive propaganda campaign uh, to right. convince America that they should go to war, and and was successful. And they've never stopped going to war ever since. So anyway, whether or not these consider, by the way, J.P. Morgan not a Jew, uh, in fact, anti-Semite. Um, right, uh, J.P. Morgan, uh, Junior, as, he, as right. he was at the time. You know, people think well, he was a money guy, uh, and he's. You know, Morgan, Morgan Stein, Morgan Stern, probably an abbreviation. But no, not a, not a Jew. Um, Anti-Semite. Okay. Very, very sort of white American, uh, you know, sort of Protestant um, anti-Jew. 
Now, whether or not right. these considerations that Storrs points out were true, they didn't really pay out. He then continues, the American loan went much as had been anyhow expected. No sympathies for Britain accrued from the Soviets, which shortly denounced Zionism as a capitalist contrivance, and the loyalty of German Jewry remained unshaken. Mm-hmm. The Jews, the German Jews said, nah, we think we're good with Germany. Uh, they got our back. We're right. all the way with uh, the Germans. Thank you very much Kaiser. for your concerns. Kaiser, right, but right. pretty sure, and again, look, we're pretty sure if uh, God thinks we're wrong on this, he will let us know at some point. <laughs> He'll find uh, some way. Yeah. Some way of telling us that uh, <laughs> he doesn't agree with what we're doing. Uh, Now, according to a biography on Balfour that I read, as Mm -hmm. late as January 1918, our ambassador in Washington reported on the authority of Mr. Justice Brandeis himself that the Zionists were violently opposed by the great capitalists and by the socialists for different reasons. Really? Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why? So, um, yeah, what the, the, I don't know exactly what uh, problem the great American capitalists had against Zionism at the time, but we Maybe will, just good um, old-fashioned anti-Semitism? Sorry, go mate, ahead. Yeah, yeah, mate, well, certainly J.P. Morgan, I think that was the case. Um, right. Yeah. So, but I, I, I don't know about the rest of them. Now, uh, well, we, 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 we've talked on this about how... Uh, FDR was anti-Semitic. Uh, Truman right. was anti-Semitic. Uh, Churchill was, was anti-Semitic. Yeah, well, everyone yeah. was anti-Semitic. What you did. So you know exactly. Yeah. It's what you did. Yeah. I mean, the guys that in England that were pushing for it were doing so. We have to believe mostly. Most of them were mostly doing it purely for war-related reasons. Uh, it wasn't right. out of any love of Zion, except for maybe. The Christian Zionists, a couple of those guys, but generally, mm-hmm. and the Jews. No, there was some, there was some, there was some Jews involved over there as well, like Feitzman, But he, uh, he wasn't uh, a politician. But most of the politicians that got behind it were doing it for war-related reasons. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the newspapers that I dug up from 1917, the La Crosse Tribune from Wisconsin, makes an excellent point. It said, right. Palestine borders on the Suez Canal, the jugular vein of the British Empire. It is all important that its government should be of a democratic and independent order. Mm. Now, I guess that's true. If you if you include the Sinai Desert as part of Palestine, uh, right? And you basically see that, and, and this this I'll talk about this later on because this was absolutely something that uh, politicians, British politicians at the time, pointed out in their support for the Balfour Declaration. It mm-hmm. was that they wanted f- people who owed them one uh, sitting on the eastern side of the Suez Canal, which Absolutely. England yeah. had bought uh, not that long before off of Egypt, financed by... Um, Rothschild? I don't know. Rothschilds. Nice yeah. guess there, Mr. Thank Paris. you. Yes. Thank the you. Rothschilds Thank financed... You. <laughs> the British acquisition of the Suez Canal. Now, if you don't know your geography very well, the Suez Canal 
basically sits uh, between Egypt and Saudi Arabia. And mm-hmm. it's this, this little thin strip of uh, water that was dug that uh, makes it a lot faster to sail your yes. ships. If you want to right. sail your ships from... <laughs> From uh, UK, y- Europe, uh, right. down to your, uh, your 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 Commonwealth assets in uh, the Indian Ocean and the Pacific Ocean. Let's say India right. or Australia right. or Malaysia, places like that, or around yep. getting Hong Kong, China, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Singapore, if, yeah. If it, without the Suez Canal, you have to sail your oh, ships right yeah. down the bottom of Africa and all the way back up again, it's going to take you three times as long. If you can sail right. your ships through the Suez Canal, boom. It's oh. like it's like having a TARDIS. You can just go point A to point B. Right. It takes no time right. at all. Instant. Almost. Yeah. You blink, you're there. So the yeah, Suez exactly. Canal, vitally important to Britain's commercial interests at the time. Uh, and they, they had all sorts of troubles protecting it, as I think we've talked about before. But uh, yes, contr- having having a friendly government, uh, a British protectorate, might we say, right. in Israel, uh, with people that owed you one because you're the only people that supported it, would be mm-hmm. politically, geopolitically, very useful in uh, right. years to come in helping protect the Suez Canal. And 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 you've been you've been you've been talking around this, but I just want to make it more obvious when when you're when we're leading up to the Balfour Declaration. I mean, the war in World War One, the war in the West is not going very well. The war in the East has reached a stalemate. It's getting ugly. They need money. They're also thinking about their future. They're thinking about their empire. Britain needs specific things and a way to to maybe get several of those things all in one go is for some kind of declaration about a Jewish homeland of Palestine it fits perfectly with their needs they're hoping they could wrap a, they can hope they're hoping they can wrap up a lot of loose ends with this one gesture yeah there's a masterstroke yeah. well that's at least yes. that's how they saw it as being it's a bit of a masterstroke right right now stores goes on it was assumed that the indigenous population of Palestine was small backward and unimportant that, as brother Semites, they would welcome Jews and, as poor men, capitalists. The somehow, their interests would not only not suffer, but would positively be advanced by an influx of enthusiastic and energetic kinsmen. The Palestinian opposition to Zionism, therefore, came right. on the whole as a surprise, sometimes oh, almost as an outrage to the world at large. This is How where you play you? open arms by journey. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> How dare you oppose our taking of your country? What? How, exactly. how rude of you, sir. Uh, Stores goes on to say, look, the opposition, in his view, uh, wasn't unreasonable. He says Muslims, though everywhere more tolerant of Jews than of Christians, nevertheless revered Jesus as Ru'Allah, the spirit of God. Muslims, as well as Christians, would protest. What? Hand our country over to the people who crucified our Lord Jesus? How dare you? And I think we've talked about this on the earlier episodes, but yeah, it's important to understand that uh, sorry, Muslims then as now 
do see Jesus as uh, one of the major prophets. Jesus gets mentioned more times in the Quran than pretty much anything else, anyone else. I think second wow. maybe only to Muhammad, uh, he right. gets mentioned in the Quran. Uh, I did not know that. Let's look this wow. up. Jesus mentioned in the Quran. Yeah. Right. Although the Quran refers to the gospel of Jesus, blah, 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 Jesus in Islam, blah, 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 blah. Hold on. He's found in the Quran in 93 verses and is mentioned wow. directly and indirectly over 187 times. He is, therefore, the most mentioned person in the Quran by reference. 25 times by the name Isa, third person, 48 times, first person, 35 times, and the rest is titles and attributes. So there you go. Like, uh, yeah, you know, Muslims love themselves a bit of Jesus. They don't think he's divine. <laughs> they saw him, right. like Muhammad, uh, a prophet. The, the last great prophet yeah. before Muhammad, I think, is how they see him. So, right. you know, they uh, saw the Jews, like the Christians did, as the uh, guy who um, killed the great prophet. Right. It's going to be ugly. Storrs also points out that while the declaration hinted at protecting the religious and civil rights of the Palestinians, it made no mention of their political rights. Ooh. Do you think that was uh, unintentional or not? Or just being vague uh, on purpose? Well, no, I think it was intentional. Uh, I think they okay. knew exactly what they were doing. And Storrs mm. says the reason this was left out is because there were thousands of Jews in England at the time who voted. Oh, right. There were, oh, there yes. were nearly no Arabs in England at the time. So, so if you're a politician and you're looking to support a bill and you're looking to throw your weight behind who's going to have the power... Uh, yeah. I mean, okay, they have the war to think about. They don't want to piss off the Arabs because they want the Arab support to overthrow the Ottomans. But at the same time, uh, you've got to worry who's going to be, about, who's going to be voting for you in the next election. <laughs> exactly. Now, Muslim, Muslim mass immigration to Britain began after World War II. The, the United Kingdom had traditionally been quite open when it came to immigration until they passed something called the Aliens Act in 1905. Right. Do you know why? What the Aliens Act was all about, Ray? Why they put that in place? Five. Ooh, I feel like, no. Tell, tell. I feel like it should tell me why. What happened? Uh, the Aliens Act was basically uh, set up uh, to stop Jews uh, getting to England. That sounds right. That yeah. Sounds right. It so they the... just do a blanket. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, it was the first time that uh, Britain had introduced immigration controls and registration, gave the Home Secretary overall responsibility for immigration, and it was supposedly designed to prevent paupers or criminals from entering the country. But really, right. it was to control Jewish immigration from Eastern Europe. They'd seen a lot of God. Jews coming in after the pogroms in 1881, right. 82, as we talked about before. And they were worried that, well, we don't want these uh, 
atheist, yeah. uh, communist Jews coming to our country. Happy to send them to Palestine, <laughs> but we don't want them coming here. No, well, here. that's no. We don't. We we don't <laughs> want commie uh, commie no. atheists. Um, commie atheist Jew. I've got a, a, a copy of a poster here from 1902 from, uh, mm-hmm. that was put up in London. A great public demonstration under the auspices of the British Brothers League in favour of restricting the further immigration of destitute foreigners into this country will be held at the People's Palace Tuesday, January 14th, 1902. The chair will be taken at 8pm sharp by Major Evans Gordon, MP, who will be supported by members of Parliament, County and Borough Councillors, members of boards of guardians of all shades of politics and ministers of religion of all denominations. So basically everyone was like, stop the Jews from coming yeah. into England. And here we are, Did they, a mere yeah, yeah. 12, 12 years later, <laughs> they're, they're pushing through, passing yeah. an act to yeah. uh, create a country for them. Uh, somewhere else. Well, so let, let's let's just set the scene for a second. So you got David Lloyd George, Balfour, all the people along with them. They're like, no, no, okay, listen, this this gets even better. We're going to get rid of the Jews. We're going to win the war. We're going to carve up the Ottoman Ottoman Empire. We're going to do whatever we can to keep France out of all this new territory because we're going to try to grab it up. We're going to secure the uh, the Suez Canal. I mean, it's fucking brilliant. They were high fiving each other. All mm. night long, trying to accomplish all of those things. I mean, it's just fucking brilliant on paper. It is. And, you know, the Balfour Declaration reminds me a lot of the Marshall Plan. It's one of these things that gets talked about today as if it was this great act of of right. charity. Right. The propaganda around it is a Christian People are like, Christian hey, charity. Yeah. Right. yeah. A great yeah. act of Christian <laughs> Western charity. But of course, we sacrificed. You, we yeah. gave. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Out of the goodness <laughs> of our hearts, we did this. You peel away the layers, and you realize, okay, this Cha-ching. is completely, Cha-ching. completely self-serving. Yeah, but but genius. If you if you like, oh, whenever yeah. you can do Barry something that is, yeah, right. Barry and Stan came up with the Balfour Declaration, <laughs> as we know. They changed the name to Barry Stein, as we know, uh, just to to make themselves sound more Jewy. Barry Steinberg. <laughs> um, the, uh, the, the, uh, whenever you can do something that's completely right. selfish, <laughs> but make it look like it's completely right. altruistic, oh, that, my friend, oh, yeah. that's reaching for the that's... gold ring. <laughs> like, if you can buy your wife. Right. Like a a a a a a a fucking drill. <laughs> no, so what's a manly thing? I'm not a man, so I don't, I'm not really a man's man. Uh, so I don't a tool really know. set, or uh, you, I don't know. You, you know what? I, do you yeah. know what I am? What? Oh, I'm a pansy. <laughs> <laughs> that makes two of us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> I mean, we can buy your wife. Yeah, it was the old Homer right. thing. Didn't he buy Marge a bowling ball or something? But then you got to be able to sell. Yes. No, no, this is for you. Right. This is totally you. You 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 want me to get out of the house oh. more because you're sick of me. Now I will have to be out of the house more with my bowling ball. I did this yeah. for you. You got to be able to sell. Happy it. birthday. These, guys, these yeah. Barry and Stan yeah. are geniuses at doing it. <laughs> um, it's 
stores stores continues. Uh, Zionists will not admit to themselves, and certainly not to the world, that the Palestine Arab has for hundreds of years considered Palestine, a country no larger than Wales, as his home. And he does Mm -hmm. not consider that there is, within those limits, room for another home to be stocked, as of right, from a reserve of 16 million people. The plain truth, which, 20 years after the Balfour Declaration, must be faced, is that the Arabs of Palestine rejected it from the first and will never accept it unless something is done to assure them their economic, territorial and national survival. In this, they are only ranging themselves with other and far larger countries or nations, including those of the British Empire, which have long since ceased to tolerate foreign large-scale immigration, particularly from Eastern Europe. Wow. Pretty hard to argue with that. He's writing that in 1940, um, so before the Holocaust, at least before the Holocaust was well known about... Um, and he's uh, saying, yeah, listen, uh, I was there. I ran the fucking place for, what was it, 10 years? Right, Um, I ran the place. I know this place better than anybody. I'm not biased. I can see both sides of it, but I'm just telling you it ain't going to work, and he was calling that out in 1940. But did anyone listen? No, no one listened. Mm, No. And, and just one last thing to keep in mind, you know, we talked about the first, second, and third aliyah with these massive uh, um, waves of Jewish settlers coming into Palestine. And the, the thing to keep in mind about the Zionists, I mean, they considered themselves the new Jews. They weren't going to be pushed around anymore. They weren't going to be rootless, soft-skinned people, you know, victims. They were hardy. They were tough. They were going to farm, which they hadn't been allowed to do in a very long time. These people were coming with a chip on their shoulder. They had a plan, and they had a ton of money backing them up from other Jews and other countries. They had a plan, and they were coming in, and they were going to finally get what God, for whatever in his infinite wisdom, had not given them in 2000 years. I am fucking exhausted. <laughs> An iron curtain has descended across the continent. It's time to go out and kick some ass and do whatever you can to inflict pain. Because <laughs> you're that good. Soviet military buildup on the island of Cuba. The purpose of these bases can be none other than to provide a nuclear strike capability against the Western Hemisphere. The obvious answer is it's payback time. I think a lot of people were saying that about Hillary Clinton as well. Fuck it. <laughs>